Welcome to today's Lots of Matzah Pizza Podcast. I'm Tony Scott. Today we have a special guest from Boston, Massachusetts, Billy Jaffe, the well-known NHL Network and NESN Nesson sports uh, broadcaster and specialist. Um, it should be a fun show. We're going to learn about his playing background and broadcasting both at the college level, pro level, and everything in between. Hope you enjoy today's show. Love is a burning thing And it makes a fiery ring Bound by wild desire I fell into a ring of fire Well, good afternoon, Billy. How are you doing today? Oh, Tony, just fantastic. <laughs> just... <laughs> Everything is awesome right now. I'm I'm thrilled to be on with you to take my mind off of what is or maybe isn't happening right now in the world. But otherwise, I'm all good. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you. The uh, You have a very, very full schedule. Um, and I'm sure your schedule has gone from 100 to like a 10 or a 15 on, on fullness. What are you doing to keep yourself busy during the COVID-19? Uh, it's, it's actually gone from about 120 to, uh, we're almost at zero. Uh, we're just about at zero. Really? What am I, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, there's just, there's just no hockey, uh, which we all know. And especially this time of year from mid-March until, until late May, I was my busiest, best, most passionate, most enjoyable time. Um, so yeah, I was doing some podcast stuff that I had, and I know we'll touch on that a little bit later, yeah. uh, little stuff with Nesson and I might do a hit or two for them. They're doing some at home type shows and, you know, I might jump on one day a week for 12 minutes. Uh, not even, you know, yeah. less than that, but, but really there, there's nothing I've, I have a, a, a column I do for a program called New England home or uh, New England hockey journal. Yep. That I'll do, but that's it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm really almost grinding to a complete halt, and and the list of things to do around the house is is Growing. pretty significant. Yeah, so we're gonna do that. But I'm bummed. I can't I, I can't BS you. I can't deny it. I'm uh, I I love this time of year. I March is the month that I always look forward to the most, but it also always puts a big pit in my stomach when I put up my look at my schedule between the NCAA games and uh the nhl games i can't wait to get to early april because then it's just all nhl it's just fun 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 but i love the passion of march it's a frenetic month and i i dearly missed it people don't realize how tired you get right yeah yeah you do you know what you know when i really get tired really is when it's the two weeks around i always do the hockey east tournament for nesson yep. so i'm always doing you know three games of the championship weekend i'm usually doing two bruins games that week too then that weekend, and then that Sunday, I get my – I know where I'm going. Like this year, I knew I was working in Albany for ESPN, but I get my assignment, which are going to be my four teams, and I start prepping for that. And I know this year I had two Bruins games that week in addition to, you know, getting ready for the three other games, for the NCAA. And, and those two weeks right there, I get done with that on Sunday night. I get home about 1 in the morning and – I'm just like done. Give me 24 hours to, to refresh, and then I then I'm ready for playoff hockey in the NHL, which is the most glorious 
most phenomenal time of the year for me. Yeah, no question about it. We're everybody's jonesing for it, no matter where in North America right now. Uh, they mm-hmm. really, they really want to get back and get the season finished and and play some type of Stanley Cup playoffs. That no doubt about it. Yeah, I know, and we're hopefully going to get something, but hopefully not at the expense of. Uh, what is what I would call sanity and, and health. That's obviously the most important thing. That is true. All right, let's walk through your playing career. You grew up in Chicago, Illinois. Um, how, what was uh, playing hockey like in the late to mid, late seventies, mid eighties as a youth in Chicago? Uh, pretty good. You know, the Blackhawks were a bit of a quandary in Chicago in that they were this beloved team and Chicago, uh, real, you know, blue collar type attitude, uh, Sunday night at Blackhawk games at the Chicago stadium was a thing that was so, uh, colorful. And so, I mean, you want to talk about feel like local feel, but on the other hand, uh, at the time, Bill Wirtz owned the team and there was a lot of pushback against their ownership, the Wirtz family ownership. Right. So hockey kind of took a little bit of a, it was kind of a, not a double-edged sword. How would I describe it? It was just kind of a, Oh, hockey's great, but Right. So a lot of kids played it in certain areas. Some played it in my area. It was pretty good in my area. I yeah. got pretty big. But as the older years you went on, it got less because uh, basketball, football took over. And then the travel hockey, when it really came into play after, let's say, 13, Tony, 12 yeah. or 13, a lot of families started to shy away from that. I was fortunate. My family completely supported me in it, completely understood that this was my thing that I, that I resonated with, loved, um, and they allowed me to try and flourish with it. So it was cool. It was good. I lived in a, in a nice area that had a couple of rinks, which when I made a couple of rinks, I'm talking each town had a rink. So you didn't yeah. have to travel an hour. And, um, and you know, we had some good times with some good hockey growing up. We absolutely did. I'm get you grew up in Highland park, correct? Yes. So yeah. all up and down uh, Sheridan there, you know, up and down the, the north side of Chicago, I'm sure there was a lot of good hockey games being played. There were, you know, between um, Highland, Highland Park merged with the town next to us called Deerfield, and we just made up the Falcons organization. Yep. And so we had a big organization between Highland Park and Deerfield. But Wilmette, Winnetka, Glenview, really good. Uh, Evanston wasn't bad. And if you went up north, Lake Forest was always good. If you went further north, there were some other teams heading up towards Wisconsin. We went to Wisconsin a lot to play Milwaukee teams, Kenosha teams. Um, As we got older, and I think at 12, if I remember correctly, it was either 12 or 13, Pee Wee Major, I believe, or Banna Minor. Triple A wasn't like it is now. You know that. Yeah, I know. Triple A was different. So it really came into its own in, in the early mid eighties. And then I started playing AAA about 84. So I didn't, I played up my first year in AAA, if I remember correctly, I could be wrong. Anyways, um, I was, I think a peewee and I played up a year. Uh, that's when we really started to see, you started to see the entire Illinois, not just the North Northern suburbs, but we went West, we went South. And there was some really, really good ho- Chicago hockey was always this bigger kids, very strong, tough, and could shoot. Those right. were the things. Our skills and our skating weren't always the best, but our size, strength, and shooting was always, and our toughness was always a calling card. Do you think there was a, there was obviously a gap between the Makita years and and um, and the Larmer years? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that had a little bit of an effect on on the popularity of the game in Chicago as well? 
Yeah, I, I, you know, I look whenever a team is really good in a market, um, we call it hockey babies. You know, L.A. had yes. these great, you know, they had Gretzky in 93 for a couple of years and that became the thing. So hockey kids, hockey babies started to become kids and they became, you know, hockey players. And then we saw the L.A. Kings win in 12 and 14. And so all around that, there was a plethora of kids that got exposed to the game. And now hockey in L.A. is big. Now, granted, still football and basketball might be bigger, but it's really big out there, really big. And they've got great coaching. Same thing in Chicago. Again, I go back to this. There was always the we love hockey, but factor. Yes. And that's just what it, that's just what it was for many people there. And and and. Um, there was some violence to hockey and God bless it. I mean, that's part of the thing that we love about hockey, yeah. right? It's, it's attractive. A, it, it, yeah. It's a, well, right. You want it to be controlled violence, right? Yes. You don't want somebody whacking you over the head with a stick, but you want that tough aspect to it. And there were some people that just didn't, that didn't resonate with. And therefore that was another reason, but definitely between the, the I mean, listen, especially in the nineties in Chicago, when the Hawks after the Roenick era and every, you mentioned Larmer, et cetera, there was some downtime there and, and youth hockey. When I say it took a hit, it just wasn't near what it became again in the two thousands. Right. When Kane and Taze and this group started, you know, shine. It just through. exploded. Hey, do you have a trademark on the term hockey babies? Cause I'm going to use that sometime. I, I promise. I don't, I should, I wish I was a better <laughs> businessman and I, and I should do stuff like that. I, you know, I always have these ideas. And that one's I, good. That one is yeah, good. That's what they became the hockey babies. They are, you look at all the markets where, Things have shined in Raleigh. They win in 06. And then all of a sudden by 2012, there's some decent hockey players down there because of the hockey babies. It's yeah. just, it's just when your team does well and people see how cool it is, that's when they want to be a part of it. Whenever someone asks me, they ask me before the se- you know the season ends, who do you want to see in the Stanley cup finals? And I go, if it's not the wild, I'd like to see two Sunbelt teams all the time because it's great for the game of hockey. Uh, Toronto's going to have hockey players, Minnesota, Chicago. There's always going to be hockey players in those in those states and provinces, but we really need to grow the game in, in those Sunbelt states. Yeah, well, NBC might disagree with you, if only from a ratings perspective. But, uh, <laughs> Mine's only for growth of game. I like growth, I <laughs> growth of game supersedes everything, in my opinion. I, I, I love that I, I part think, of it. I think the rate the networks would prefer if the Sunbelt team is there that they have a superstar. That's kind of why Tampa did pretty well. You know, yeah. They had the Sam Coast. It, it was interesting. And they did unbelievably well in their market. But from a national audience perspective, they'd always prefer the bigger market teams. Just flat out true. Yeah, Don't absolutely. Have, you know, nobody can tell you any different. It's absolutely. What, how did how did Nashville do in the rankings? Because it seemed like there was a, a buzz when they were in it. They were great. Um, they have a pretty good market. It's uh, it's it's got obviously it's we can call it southern, but it's really a big transplant market. Right. A lot of people from Chicago. A lot of people from the Northeast. There. Um, and it is a passionate sports market. They did they did pretty well. I don't remember their numbers overall in the year they played Pittsburgh, but they did pretty well. They did. They they did pretty. And now remember, Pittsburgh is a team that resonates really on, in many places. A lot of people that move out of Pittsburgh to all these other towns, and so they always have a good following too. Yeah, so that's probably why the, the market. Yeah, and, and, well. and and Crosby doesn't hurt either, right? I mean, he's right. a, he's Superstar a draw. Power. He's yeah. a draw. No question. Exactly. All right. So after your youth career, you, you, your senior year of high school, you went to prep school out East. Was, yeah. was that a, was that a, uh, a big change for you as far as just, just moving away from home, playing against kids from the Northeast? Uh, uh, where, how did you fit yeah. in? How did it work out? It was interesting. Um, 
long story short, I had met my coach that I didn't realize would become my coach. I believe it was after my fresh, it was either after my eighth grade or freshman year. I don't remember. Um, at a hockey camp. I went to a hockey camp in uh, Exeter, New Hampshire right. at the Exeter, it's called Phillips Exeter Prep School. Yep. I went out there, long story short, again, my parents uh, have a Northeast, even though I was from Chicago, my mom's from Boston. My dad had uh, spent time in, in, in Rhode Island and Boston. And so we had family out here. And so part of the summer was, hey, Billy, I'll go to a hot, you go to a hockey camp out there. We'll spend some time with relatives. And all right, great. Well, my coach, the leader of my group, was the head coach from Kent School. And I had a great time, had a great camp, a lot of fun. And fast forward two, if not three years later, I don't remember what, again, forgive me, but I was playing for the Young Americans. I was a junior in high school, Chicago Young Americans, and we were playing in a predominantly prep school tournament in just outside of Boston. And I saw that Kent School was going to be there. And so before my first game, uh, Kent school was out on the ice and the head coach was, or was going on or whatever. And the coach walked, was walking over and I said, Hey, coach army. I don't know if you remember me. He said, Billy Jaffe, how you doing? It's great to see you. And that was the relationship. So tr- fast forward later that year, we finished the season and now all everybody's going somewhere. Everybody's either going to prep schools, juniors, Canadian juniors or whatever, you know, a major, yeah. uh, not major, but junior A. And I, my parents being in education and uh, we looked into prep schools and during that year. And so Kent was one of the probably four or five I looked at. I was very comfortable because of the coach. When I went there, it was different. Sure. Uh, but, you know, it wasn't like look, it, us living in Chicago, Tony, we spent so much time on the road right. playing hockey. My my band of major midget minor years midget major year because we didn't have 10 teams to play in, right. around. We had to travel everywhere. So it was different from, but it was great for me from a school standpoint, because it forced me to have to study it a little differently. Uh, the hockey was very good. Um, it was, it was great at that time. It was great. Uh, you know, overall, I caught a very nice experience. I had a few things happen near the end of it that didn't sit well with me, but it was more of a school thing, yeah. not a, an experience thing, but that's, like that's life, right? Some things right. are perfect and other things aren't always, but it was overall a very good experience. I was comfortable. Um, and, uh, and played with some good players. I do actually wish I'd gone two years. I really, do. I think it may have, yeah, I do. I think it may have helped me, uh, even more academically, but also maybe put me in a different stead from a hockey perspective. Right. I was a good player. I'm not going to tell you, I mean, I was good. I was recruited and everything, but I wasn't, I wasn't like, you know, I, was, I went to the U.S. What was it called then? The, uh, the international Olympic the trial, Olympic thing? festival, Olympic fest, right? But it was it was it was a junior Olympic tournament. Yeah, they, they had teams from around the country, and and I played in that. And again, I was good, and I was recruited, but I wasn't your first recruit. I was a middle recruit type of thing, and so maybe two years there would have helped me and put me. And look, I love Michigan for the most part, but maybe it would have put me somewhere else. Yeah, you know, maybe it would have put me into a different perspective. Well, you else. got to a great school and you played for one of the most legendary coaches of all time, Red Berenson. Walk through those two years when you played there. Yeah, it was, um, you know, it was a, a real good experience. It was different. It was, again, by any means, wasn't perfect. Um, eye-opening in some ways. I always like to say this, Tony. I was probably not as good as I thought I was at the time, but I was much better than what I was shown or maybe given an opportunity. Right. That's not to say 
I'm blaming anybody else for my decision to stop playing there after two years. And me, I'm not. I actually, you know, I'm, I, I, I fully take responsibility for my decision. At that time when I was done playing there, I wasn't enjoying hockey at all. Right. I didn't like it. I fully admitted I was, it became work. And I'm like, you know, this isn't right. I thought about transferring, um, but I didn't. When it was all said and done, I realized at that time I probably wasn't going to the NHL. And I said, you know what? I'm in a really good school. I'm in a really good spot. Um, I can be a student. Uh, maybe I'm better off here. And it was a hard decision. It was a very hard decision for, for a couple of days. And I decided to stay there. Uh, I liked playing. I loved playing there. I love some of the guys that I met as friends. I'm still friends, great mm-hmm. friends with them. Um, you know, I, I, I don't regret my decision to stop playing. But I, I guess, how, how, did, how is this for a hypocritical? But I wish that I could have still played. I wish I still had that at, at that moment, that willingness to see maybe some years later. Or I took a deep breath and I said, you're going to get through this. I didn't know. Yeah. And I just said, if I'm hate, I really wasn't liking hockey. And I'm like, what, do I really want to keep doing this? Yeah, it's and, a lot of time. Um, it's a lot of time. It was. But it's amazing because it's really what I love more than anything in this world. And yet I... I had that coming and, you know, I get mad at myself every once in a while. But on the other hand, I know that it was also a good decision. Again, it sounds very contradictory statements there, but I, it is what it is. And so, and listen, Red was uh, a very good coach. I get, I actually got along with Red much better uh, after I left. I was done playing and after graduated and went back for alumni events, Um, you know, uh, and, and it is what it is. It's a lame answer or lame statement but it is what it is. And so, but going to Michigan gave me a lot of opportunities for many things, including playing hockey. And I still am very proud of that. So I run a camp here at the university of Minnesota and their players are our counselors. And I asked one of them, I said, how is college hockey compared to high school or juniors? And he's one of the kids, I don't use his name. He says, you know, Tony, it's like a business. It really is. My coach gets fired if we don't win games and he gets paid and he goes, and he gets paid a lot of money. Did you get that feeling part of it when you're back in the, in the eighties? Uh, I don't think I got that, you know, red, uh, such a legend, right? Like everything in the game, a bright man. The thing, look, the thing I respect most about red is his value of, you know, be a good person. And it's not, he's not BSing you, you know, be a good student. He's, you know, he lived it. He got his master's from Michigan, you know, right. like he lived it. So that, that's it. I didn't feel that there was pressure for him to, especially because I came there in 87 and Red had just gotten there in 84, and he was just turning the program around. They had some dark times there. Yes. And he was turning it around. And, look, by the time we were seniors, and actually I was I was refereeing, I was officiating college hockey by then. I, I, I jumped right into being a CCHA linesman and a North American Junior Hockey League referee within my junior year. They offered me an opportunity, and I said, all right, I'll do it. You know, I'll keep involved in the game. And point is, I was still great friends with all those guys in senior year, they made it to the NCAA tournament. I was thrilled for them. I was, I was thrilled. And, and, um, you know, I was, I was out there. I didn't feel the pressure from, from red to have to win because he was just pushing the program back into a good place. That's what it was. And it became great in the mid nineties when they started winning, not just going to the NCAAs, but winning. winning. NCAAs. Absolutely. So that's interesting. You talked about officiating. I, I've seen doing some research on you. You've done some exposés on officials and officiating. Mm-hmm. Uh, walk through your experience of being a ref. Yeah, it was great and very important. I think it, it helped me a ton 
uh, as I fell into broadcasting. So I was given an opportunity um, for my junior year uh, by Bill Began, who was then the uh, CCHA commissioner. And I knew some other guys there. And I, I, I said, you know, maybe I'll do officiating. And they said, love to have you. Yeah, you'll be part of the crew. I mean, literally my junior year, I was at their training camp and I was part of the crew. And, and they gave me a few games in the, in the CCHA early on. But mostly they gave me a lot of, uh, at the time, independent NCAA games, meaning Michigan Dearborn might right. play a CCHA team or Michigan Dearborn or Kent state, or at that time, Notre Dame was still at what was called an independent. Yep. And, and so I did a lot of those games in the first half of the season. I had a few CCHA games. And then as the season went on, I got more and more CCHA games. I did a lot of North American junior league games and even some youth, youth hockey in the area, the, the, the little Caesars, that kind of stuff in deer in the, the Dearborn and uh, six, what was it called? I can't remember that's what, what mile marker was anyways in, right. in, in Michigan. I did a lot of those. Uh, by the end of my first year, I refed the North American. I was the ref for the championship weekend in North American league. So right. that was, that was great. And, uh, my senior year again, doing that a lot more. I mean, I did a ton of CCHA games that year as a linesman and I refed a few independent games as well. And then I, I did it for a few more years after I graduated, but I was back in Chicago and right. there weren't as many opportunities. And so after another two or three years, two for sure, maybe three, I just said, you know what, I'm not, I, I really enjoy it. I really enjoyed the officiate. It gave me a great perspective, but I knew that I wasn't going to go anywhere with it because I decided they, they had talked to me at one time to go to Bill Began asked me, he said, were you be interested in maybe going to the national camp? uh, for, right. uh, the NHL camp. And I'm like, eh, I don't know. I'm not sure. I did get invited to a Midwestern at St. Cloud, uh, state, a USA hockey. Uh, there was two camps, one in the Midwest and one in the East. And I was invited to one of those and I did it. Um, and I was glad I did it, but I saw that I probably wasn't as committed as some of the other guys that were there. And so I said, okay, you know, if it served its term for me, it's right. purpose. And I'm still a big fan of the officials. I know all the crap that they go through. Yeah. And, um, and I know how important they are to the game. And it gives me a different perspective still at how I look at the game. Yeah. So after so after graduation, you go back to Chicago. You didn't start broadcasting right away. You What type of profession were you in before you slid into this broadcasting career? I was in the, the food business, the restaurant, food, wholesale uh, sales business, food brokerage, many different things. I had a job upon graduation. I literally like Michigan always ends early for some reason that we're, we were always out of school. Like I'm going to say May 1st. Right. I, I think I was done April 25th or something. You stay there and you party for a week, you know, like you haven't ever partied before. And then we were home the first week in May. I was working. I think like the f first full week I was back in Chicago, I had a job with a group called the Levy restaurant organization and helping run, the skybox suites at Wrigley field. So I had done stuff in the restaurant food industry during summers before, whether it was cooking, managing restaurant, et cetera. I liked the food business. Um, you know, I thought about picking up my stuff and just going to play somewhere. I really right. did because I played in a pretty good league back in Ann Arbor and I didn't right away. I did. I worked right away. Um, and, and then I helped, so I, I managed these sky boxes for them at Wrigley. Then I helped run a restaurant for them in, in the city of Chicago. And then I did actually, since I was still playing with this glorified 
you know, men's league team that I had been introduced to called the Chicago Chargers. I was going to get to uh, that. Yeah. 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 And then I, I decided to go actually go give the Colonial League a chance. And I did. And I went to a free agent camp and I got uh, offered an opportunity to come back and to the main camp for a team in Detroit. And I did. And I spent a few days there. And then they had kids coming in from others' teams, and they cut me. And so then I went to Muskegon, and Bruce Boudreau was the coach there. First time coaching. And I just said, okay, I played a couple of games there for them, and uh, I believe it was exhibition. I don't remember if they were regular. I think it was preseason. And I heard they were going to be paying, like, I can't remember. I'm going to say 274 bucks a week, something (laughs) like that in Muskegon. Maybe 300 I don't know. And I just said, I'm, you know what, I'm not going to do this. You know, I loved it. I had a great time. I saw some other guys there that had to play hockey. They didn't have anything else to fall back on. And I just said, you know what? I don't, I, I, I think this is great, but what am I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be fighting my way through a league for 275 bucks a week after taxes. No. And, no, no. and I just, at that time I decided it wasn't, and even probably, I probably wouldn't have done it even for 350 or 400 bucks a week. You know, I probably wouldn't have. No, what it wouldn't have been, especially knowing what I knew. But anyway, so that was that was what I I, I was in the wholesale brokerage, uh, the import business, uh, a bunch of different things until I fell into broadcasting when I was almost 28, 29 years old. You you played for the Chicago Chargers. Uh, You had to have played against some of the Minnesota teams if you were playing at the national level. Uh, We did. We had fierce rivalry. Yeah. (laughs) We uh we had a fierce rivalry with uh, the Bucks. Yeah, Bucks unpainted. Bucks his team, and um, the other team was uh, St. Paul. Oh my God, what was their uh, maybe. No, not the Falcons? Maybe Falcons. What was their maybe Falcons? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had a guy on their team in St. Paul who must have been sixty something years old. <laughs> And now I got to find out who this is, right? I know you got to ask what his nickname is. Like, everybody says, Oh, wait till you see the fossil. I said, the fossil. Yeah. I said, Oh yeah. There's a guy that goes there and he's playing. So now remember at that time, I'm 25, 20, not even yeah. 24. He may have only been 50, but he looked old as shit. You know, he looked, he looked, old, but, but he was out there playing and I give, I, like, I, I, we'd always give him credit because like he was awesome that he was out there still playing full contact. Sometimes there was scrap hockey. Um, but I, I think that the, between the Bucks and the Vulcans, those were the two main teams there. If I'm forgetting yeah, one no, of them. Yeah, you got them. That's it. Yeah. The Bucks and us had had a – St. Paul was good. And we had some good games. But the Bucks and us always had – those were intense. They had a lot of guys from the U. Yep. They had a lot of guys from Duluth, too, that would come down yeah. and, and played there. And they were they had some characters just like just like we did. Those were some great games. We played them a couple of times in the national tournaments. Oh, I mean, and those were always intense games. And you guys have have, have series with them too, where you play a couple games on the weekend. Yeah, we would come in. Um, it was amazing. Usually, we'd usually come in on a on a Friday. Sometimes, guys, you know, depending on your work, you could come in on Thursday night. Yep. If you came in on Thursday night and partied all Thursday I was going to say, night, that's not then, good. That's not no, good. No, Friday wasn't usually a good game. It was interesting, <laughs> though, because we always partied our ass off Friday night, too. Like that was, But somehow Saturdays, we'd always play pretty well. Like yeah. Somehow, I don't know how we did it. I mean, we did the same thing with teams in Anchorage and Fairbanks, uh, Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, uh, New York, and Washington had teams, too, that we would go play. 
But uh, yeah, we never missed an opportunity for a good game, but we really never missed an opportunity for a good night of partying. Did I you... mean, those were those were the greatest. Those were arguably my most enjoyable times playing hockey. Really? Did you guys Love ever play, like the Salt Lake, not Salt Lake City, or was it Salt Lake City or, or Utah or no. somewhere or like well, Lake we Tahoe? Well, we Jackson Hole. We went to Jackson Hole, okay. um, Wyoming, and where they have a great program, the Moose. And I, I, long story short, the guy I believe was from Minnesota who ended up running their, uh, program, but he lived out there for a while. And I ended up connecting with him through somebody. And the other place that had it was Vale. Vale had a real Oof. good program and Sun Valley had Sun a real Valley. Good that was it. That was it. Right. Sun Valley's had a program out there forever. We never went there as a team. We went to Jackson hole at least geez, at least three times in my time. It was a great deal. We would get sent out there. Um, we would get, we would get, we would, how what was it? We would get group rate to fly out there. So yeah. you have to pay your airplane ticket. But after Everything that, else was taken care of. Everything else. And we would make some money. Um, you know, like they would say, here's a hundred dollars towards this. And you got your hotel and you got your ski lift paid for, but everything, you know, that was, it was great. It was like, they would give us a hundred dollar voucher for something, maybe meals or something. I would like have that. my friends come back. I think they went to sun Valley, the, the Minnesota guys, the bucks guys, whatever. And they would come back and it was like bloodshot, bloodshot eyes. And it was the greatest weekend of their life. Every time they went out there. Yeah, it was awesome. But the second night, somehow we would play better after being at altitude, after some guys skiing, some guys snowmobiling, but everybody drinking. We would somehow play better and win. It was amazing. And same thing in Anchorage. Oh, my God. Anchorage was such a gong show. Spectacular, though. I mean, 4,000 people in the stadium, in the arena. Wow. We play. It was awesome. It's like, it mystery, was, it's it like was, mystery Alaska, but indoors, right? Exactly. Yes. Great memories. You know, I think the key phrase there, Billy, was you said, I was 25 at the time. You know, you're not 25 anymore, right? You couldn't do this now. Oh, God, no. No. Um, no, I, you know, I tried to keep up playing in the sense of, I went a long stretch without playing a lot because after I fell into broadcasting and, you know, I was kind of limited in what I could play. And then I moved right. to Atlanta to be with the thrashers and I skated there a good amount. But then when I went to New York, I didn't skate a lot. I, I, I didn't skate a lot. This was so busy. And then in Boston for a little bit, I didn't. And then I started skating a lot again, and I was able to start playing. When I say competitively, I mean fun competitively again. I'm right. not looking to play in men's leagues. No. I don't like no. that. I don't trust them. So how did you get started in, in the business? What, how, did you, um, how did you fall into it? You had to have just been it, a stroke of luck? Yeah, it, it, it was uh, a stroke of like uh, luck. What, what ended up happening, uh, I really want to give you the short version because it, it, it's too long. Um, this is how it happened. I was – 28 years old, going on 29, living in Chicago, working in the food industry. Um, things were good. Nice situation. Still playing with the young, uh, the uh, Chargers. Chargers. But I was working out at a gym in Chicago, and I would go between 5.30 at 6 in the morning, and I was the youngest guy doing that. The rest of the guys were all, you know, 35 to 40 or 40 to 50-ish, whatever, right. older professionals. So I kind of became a lot of these guys, younger brother, cousin, whatever, that type of thing. And one of the guys that was always there in the morning was a PR liaison. He had a deal with the Blackhawks. I don't know exactly. He was just in with, with Mr. Words. Okay? Right. And um, 
he told me one day, he knew of my hockey playing. He knew of it. He had actually gone to one of my games with the Chargers, et cetera. And he said, listen, would you be interested in being on our broadcast, our radio, because Darren Pang is leaving to go to uh, ESPN full-time. He had been part-time doing a few games, and he had been doing some Blackhawk radio. And I said, yeah, okay, yeah, whatever, sure. Sure, yeah, okay. I never thought really about it. I never broadcast, right? Right. And um, I'd done like one game literally at Michigan. Like literally my senior year, they asked me, hey, will you come do a broadcast for us for against Michigan? They said, sure, I'll do it. Never done it. So anyway, so fast forward again to the end of the summer. I'm done playing in what is called the World Maccabee or Maccabee. Yep. You can call it one yep. games in 97. And I get home and there's a fax waiting for me. <laughs> And I'm like, okay. And it was the director of sports from the radio station and the station general manager. Hey, you know, we'd love to uh, talk with you. And would you come in? Well, again, I, I go there another week later and meet with them. Okay, we have a new host. You'd be our pregame, intermission, postgame analyst. Uh, what do you think? You know, we had a great meeting or whatever. I said, okay, sure. Like, hey, they said, go to the first preseason game. Listen to what it's about, and then the, we'll see what happens. Try the second game. That's what I did. I, I sat and watched the first game and listened. And then the next game was a few days later, and I put the headset on, and the host, whose name's Dave Pash, who's now a big-time broadcaster for yeah. ESPN Basketball and the Arizona Cardinal, um, he introduced me, and I started broadcasting. That was it. That That's, was it. You know, And I started doing Hawk games. Um, and so... That year, I did as many as I could. I still had my my full time job with in the food business. And you were just an okay. analyst, right? So color color commentator, or well, between was, period was, analyst, or what was it? Uh, yeah, it was pregame, intermission, and postgame. Exactly okay. the analyst. So right. the Blackhawks used to do a simulcast, but the Blackhawks at home, while Miss while Bill Wirtz was running the team, never broadcast home games on TV except maybe one a year. That was one of the big things about this team that people held against them. Yes. Is that they didn't do that. He's trying to and fill his gate, right? That's Well, that was, that was what he was really doing. His argument was, I'm being loyal to my season ticket holders. Never understood that, that, that argument. Right. Um, so, anyways. So, I did that. That year, I also fell into at least two Chicago Wolf TV games. Yep. Because they had heard me. And, and were they in the IHL at the time? They were. Okay. All right. And the broadcaster for them knew me well because he had actually been a broad, student broadcaster at Michigan, where I was. And then uh, I also did the college hockey game of the week once in Michigan. And coincidentally, they, Fox Sports asked me to do Michigan, uh, I believe it was against Bowling Green. And they said, will you come do the game? We need a fill-in. And I said, Sure. And I'd never done that before. I'd never done TV. So that's that, That's my first year broadcasting, and it was glorious. You want to talk about just just uh, flying just, by the seat of my pants and falling into something. That was it. Was your first big gig with the, with the Thrashers then when they opened up down in Atlanta? Uh, big gig, yes. I would say, I mean, that was my first NHL gig. Yeah, that's what I uh, mean. Yeah, because I'd worked another year doing uh, – doing actually i left my job in the food business and i did all ccha games of the week i did as many wolf games as i can on radio and tv i, I actually the wolf said they were going to use me for all their radio uh, tv games but i said to them i said look let's strike a deal 
and I won't charge you a lot, but can I do all your radio games too? And so we worked out a deal and I did like, I must've done 70 out of their 80 games that year, 60 or 70 for sure. And it was awesome. So yes, then my following year, I fell into it. I got an opportunity with the uh, Atlanta Thrashers and um, I started doing their radio color and I was part of the TV crew as well, part of the pregame intermission postgame show on TV. Yeah. And then I would also do features for them as well. Here's a small world. Yesterday I interviewed Damian Rhodes on our podcast and his wife, Amanda John, was the first ever female on ice uh, broadcaster for, for NHL hockey. Um, yes, I worked with Amanda. <laughs> How and crazy so, is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember her very well. And I remember, you know, Damien very well. Uh, yeah, mellow he was, dude. He, mellow, yeah. mellow dude. <laughs> he was injured a lot in, in uh, Atlanta. Yes. Didn't get to play that, a lot down there. Signed a big contract at that time. They signed to a very big deal at that time. Yeah. And, um, it, it, you know, he was always well-liked. He just wasn't always uh, well-healed, uh, healthy, health-wise. That's true. Um, so you know, that, so after Atlanta, where do you go? Because obviously Atlanta goes away, their franchise. You don't go to Winnipeg, do you? I mean, do you find no, a different no, I was done. I was done with Atlanta in this, because um, uh, another crazy story I got. All my jobs I've gotten in this business are, are messed up, whacked out, not so stories. But right. this one, even more so, I was uh, working with the Islanders. I was working with the Thrashers, and it was late August. I'm going to play golf in Alabama. My phone rings, and it's my agent, who's also a friend. And he says, um, are you sitting down? I said, no, why? I'm, I'm about to go play golf. He said, I gotta believe this, but it's gonna call from MSG Network, and um, they're interested in talking to you. They want you to do the Islander games. Wow! I said, okay. It was like August twenty third, and I said, okay, really? When? Yeah, no, you know, JD John Davidson left to go into the management, and they'd moved Joe Micheletti over to their uh, to the Rangers. And he says they have an opening with the Islanders, and um, the person who's running MSG Network. I know I knew well, and my agent knew well. She said, yeah, she, it's a, she wants to talk to you. She loved it. And I said, oh, I said okay. Well, I had to get the, the Thrasher's permission. They were good about it. But the Islanders owner, Charles Wong, ended up making it a really difficult, drawn-out process because he had to approve everything. <laughs> Even though I wasn't going to work for him, right. I was going to work just for him. for the network, but yeah. We, right. But yep. he was on safari in Africa. <laughs> And this thing draws out. Meanwhile, my wife and I, no kids at the time, we'd always take a trip right after Labor Day because hockey was nothing going on then. Yeah. So we had a trip planned to Spain. So I'm waiting for this job. You're like, is this going to happen or not? And literally, finally, I mean, it's getting drawn out. And the thrashers who were awesome, they finally said, look, if we don't have an answer by this date, Billy, we're not going to be able to let you go. Right. I, said, I get it. I yeah. respect it. Finally, I got an answer. I agreed to the deal while I was, I was at some internet cafe. Remember internet cafes yes. in off the beach in, and, and, uh, I think it was Malaga, Spain that I agreed to a deal. I flew home and that neck, I got home and that next night I turned around and flew up to New York to be with the team, to get on a plane the next morning to fly to Nova Scotia. Cause that's where they were holding training camp. 
that's how I started with the eyes. Wow. Wow. And how many years did you work with those guys? There for four seasons. Uh, and what was your four, role there? Uh, color analyst? Yeah, TV analyst for them. Wow. Yeah. So you've kind of yeah. done it all. You're, you're, a, you're a studio guy, on the ice guy, color analyst. What, what's your favorite thing to do when it comes to uh, covering the game? Um, from a broadcast perspective, there's nothing like being in the booth calling the game, at least for me. I do love being in between the benches. And I did an awful lot of that ever before even, a, you know, the other analysts, you know, were, were doing actually versus I was with versus for many, yes. you know, a couple of years and they put me there. And I remember the first time I did that, uh, you know, it was in St. Louis and I was down there and they kind of had to be talked into do it. They, they were doing it in, in, in Canada a little bit, but not in the U S. And so I said, Hey, I'd like to do it. And they said, okay. So I did it. Um, and I was able to do it a fair amount. I mean, I love that because the feel of it and, you know, you can hear things, but you don't get the bird's eye view. Um, studio is great too, because studio gives you what's called FaceTime. Right. And so that's a real different type of thing. So people can see you more. They can, you can, you can show your personality more. You can, but it's much more structured than the others. And so I love the creativity of in-game again, either in the booth or between the benches, then, you know, the structure of the studio, you've got to say a lot in less words and you have to get your personality out. But I think you can get your personality out uh, in the studio in different ways. And so it's that's tricky too. though. Like you said, it's structured. Like you only have 90 seconds. You only have two thirty to get something in and get it done. And before you get out the door, right? Mm -hmm. And you have to figure out the best way in the least amount of time, which wasn't always a strength, you know, I'm a talker, as you can tell. And so right. that was hard. Uh, but you got to say, you know, make your point, back it up, get out when you're in studio, make it, get it, get out or make it back it, get out. Yeah. Um, but you know, if, if you pick up on certain things and you have a good producer, which should never be overlooked, a good producer can make you or completely break you. Um, you know, you, you can, you can do some very good things and there's never enough time. But on the other hand, if you're good and you have a good crew, you can make it feel like you've made two or three salient points that make people say, whether they're novices or experts where they say, you know what? I saw that, but I didn't see that. That's great. You know, and that's what you're looking to do. So be, behind the scenes, you talked about the producer and the director, these guys who kind of guide you through the broadcast. Has there ever been anything where a story where you're anything, something behind the scenes where it was going to go down or, or you were told something or you were kind of involved in kind of the, the make or break of the broadcast? Have you ever had moments like uh, that in your career? Well, I mean, geez. Uh, I've had a few partners that haven't done that much play by play um, that, that was interesting. I had to do play by play a few times in Atlanta on radio because my partner was sick and that was interesting. That was fun. Uh, but those you don't sometimes know about <laughs> until the day of, yep. uh, and that was make or break right there. Well, hey, just, welcome just to the thank show. God it was radio. Cause they, I mean, who knows <laughs> if you were even right, right at that point. That's true. That's true. You can, you can, you can kind of just kind of skittle your way around there. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember if we've had any big power outages. Um, I mean, there may have been, there were days where trucks were, didn't pull in until very late Oof. and it, it was, Hey, keep it simple. 
this and that, you know, we're, we're going to have basic stuff here. It's not loading. And you just say, all right. And that's when I would always say, that's when you go back to talking hockey. One of the best pieces of advice I ever got was in my first year from a guy named Wayne Mesmer, who used to be the legendary anthem singer at Chicago stadium, but then also was a VP. And I think had a minority share, I could be wrong, but he's a VP with the Chicago wolves and a wonderful guy. And he has told me, he says, Hey, I'm really enjoying what you're doing with Judd, who is my partner. He said, you know what? You guys are just talking hockey sometimes. Like I'm sitting there with you having a beer. And that's what I, you know, that's what people like this, you know, and, and to me, that's this little thing that I've taken with me, um, the rest of my career. And so sometimes when the truck is in, it's called in the weeds and you're not getting what you want. I mean, trust me, I've worked some shows too, Tony, that were like really like a step below Wayne's world. Right. Some, you know, call it, you know, and I'm like, Oh God, you know, you do them. <laughs> But you just say simplify it, less is more. Yeah, absolutely. So being in the NHL, you get a chance to, to interview a lot of different players. What are the favorite types of guys that you like to interview when, when you get your when you get your opportunity? I mean, I love talking to guys that understand that it's broadcasting or, you know, is part of their job, too in the sense of it's part of the entertainment factor. I don't want them to worry about it. I want them to uh, maybe not just accept it and tolerate it, but maybe enjoy it. So those are the guys, uh, the guy that always comes to mind is Joe Thornton. Yeah. I mean, there's not a, there's not a guy who gets it more than jumbo. You know, Joe is just phenomenal uh, when it comes to it. Uh, you ask him a fair, good question. He gives you a fair, good answer with, you know, uh, different, you know, tone in his voice and a real answer. And I mean, there's so many. Mark Andre Fleury is is fantastic uh, locally with the Bruins, where I whom I see an awful lot. Whether it's a guy like uh, Tory Krug, uh, Brad Marchand, you know, you give him a good question, right? Oh, yeah. They'll give you a real answer, and that's to me. Those are the guys that you you I love to I love to interview. Is and I love interviewing good coaches. I can learn so much from them. Is Marshawn a wild card when you put the microphone in front of his face? No. No? Marshawn. Just a wild card on the ice, right? Yeah. You know, Brad's not going to – he's going to hold your feet to the fire if you say something in the sense of, <clears throat> like, hey, you said this. What about that? He'll do it with a little bit of a, a, a glint in his eye, you know, or a little glimmer of, you know, <laughs> I got gotcha. you. Um, but me, I mean, I've never had anything contentious with the guy, I mean, nothing but great stuff to say, but on the other hand, he's also, you know, he might say, well, you know, you guys are saying that it's like, look, I'm not, I'm, I, I don't agree with you or, you know, you say that, but I don't see that. And it's not argumentative. It's just the guy, what I feel is given a real answer. Now that does, I'm not that. And, and, and talking about some of his past antics on the ice are two different things, right? You know, those are totally two different things. So you work with Jack Edwards at Nesson, and, and he's kind of become a lightning rod in social media and, and even in the in the uh, industry itself for kind of becoming a homer, a, a, a Bruins homer. And, we're, and all the locals are somewhat homers, but he's kind of taking it to a new level. What, what are your thoughts on Jack? Uh, Jack is very, very, you want to talk about passionate. Jack is incredibly passionate uh, for what he does. Uh, and for his favorite team, he's very well prepared. Um, many of the play-by-play guys out there are are very um, 
are, are structured. Uh, you know what I mean? They have yes. their ways. Yes. Uh, they, they, they have their, their quirkiness. And I would say that, that Jack has all of it. Um, but he, this is the way that I always look at broadcasters and I include myself in this mix. Uh, you hope that you hope you look, we all like people to like us. That's just a fact. People that say they don't care. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if they're telling the truth. We don't need their reassurance, but we I sure like people to like me. All right. And if there's a spectrum of that goes from left to right of, I can't stand that guy, you know, on the left to, Oh my God, maternal love on the right. Those are both kind of unrealistic, right? Yep. You want more in the middle where, hey, I really like to really, really like, you know? Yep. And and to me, if guys work hard, if they're prepared, if they give it a real effort, that's what I look for. Doesn't mean I'm going to like all of them. It's just like wine. There might be a real expensive bottle of wine that I just don't like because I'm not a wine guy or whatever, but that doesn't mean other people aren't going to like it. So... That's to me the way it is. Now I know that that you know Jack or other people, other broadcasters can rub people the wrong way. That that is what it is. I'm guessing that I look. I don't talk to Jack about this, and I'm not always comfortable talking about p- other people besides myself. Right. But I know how hard he works. I don't know if Jack cares about what people think or not. He is a unique individual who loves what he does, and that's the way I, I think that he he views things. I've listened to his call. He's got one of the better calls you'll get in the game today. I mean, I'll say mm-hmm. that. Just he's gotten a little off kilter a couple times just in the past year where it's like I didn't even realize people realized who he was, you know, but now he's kind of making a name for himself somewhat negatively in in the industry. Well, you know, everybody has uh, – look, we all have decisions to make about what we do in our job, in our life, in our whatever. And right. that it, it's just true, you know, and – uh, sometimes they work out unbelievably well, and sometimes they come back to bite us in the butt. I, I don't know, you know, and and um, I, you know, I know he, I know that he loves his Bruins, and yeah. I know that he can be very opinionated, and I know that that you know thrills some and probably doesn't others. But you know, like I said, when it's all said and done, he's in that spot. He works his his butt off, and he prepares his ass off, and that's. You know, that's a big part of the job, according, at least in my eyes. As a side note, one of them happened, one of his lines happened in one of the craziest sequences. And you and I have been around the game about the same amount of time. Have you ever seen a sequence like that where there's like fights, disallowed goals, uh, the buzzer goes off from Toronto? Have you ever seen anything like that in your life? Um, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I hadn't either. I hadn't no, either. No, it just, it, it. It, it went glorious. It was glorious. It was, it was glorious. Phenomenal. Like it, it was phenomenal. That, it was phenomenal. Thank you. I was like, I, people like, oh, that was bad. I'm like, I've never seen it. Have you seen the buzzer go off from Toronto in your life? I've never seen that before. Yes. When, when the puck had already gone in the net. Yes. I've never seen I'm like, what is going on? It was like, it was like, it was like a scene yeah. out of twilight zone watching that, that clip there. And it did go yeah, a little sideways. When they know it's but. gone in. They have the authority to blow the play. So the play hasn't gone too longer. Yes, they have that just, authority. the siren goes off. It was amazing. Yeah. It was amazing. All right. Uh, if you could change one thing about the game of hockey, whether it be youth hockey, pro hockey, college hockey, there's something that you see that's just like glaring. What bugs Billy Jaffe that you'd love to see changed? We don't have enough time. Uh, I think there's a lot of great stuff 
awesome stuff in the game. I think from a, a youth hockey perspective, uh, which I'm very involved in, um, coaching my son's team and seeing it, um, a few things jump out at me. The way that people still treat officials mm. would be one. I've been blessed with amazing families and parents. Never had an issue on my team. Cannot say the rest for probably about six or eight teams in the league that we play in. There's a few others that are great too, but there's a few other teams that are just don't treat, you know, the parents and stuff don't treat the officials well. I, it just bothers the, the hell out of me. It crushes me. Um, you know, I think we get a little bit crazy still for youth hockey. I don't think, though, it is only youth hockey. I do think uh, there are other sports that are just as crazy. I do. I, do I just too. think youth sports in general are just all uh, youth youth events are all off the charts now. And I fully admit that I'm uh, I'm a contradiction at times because I'm very intense when I coach. I'm very into it. I want the kids to be great, not to win games, but to get the most out of themselves. And yes, I enjoy winning, but I'm not going to win at all costs to you know, shorten the bench, a, a 10 year old kid. Yeah. yeah. Well, I might shorten the bench. Now look, as you get into the quote unquote higher levels, I might, when I say shorten the bench, I might shorten the bench with a few minutes left in the third period and put out the better players. And you know what? None of the kids mind that no. they don't. If I was in a town league, I wouldn't, I would say, here we go. We're going to play. We're going to play where everybody's, we're going to keep rolling. But this is different. But I'm, I'm not going to sit kids in the second period for crying out loud. I'm not going to do that. I'm just, you know, even at the quote unquote AAA level. Right. I just I just won't. Um, uh, but it is it's crazy. I'm not as I'm, I, I fully admit that I have that intensity. And because if you're going to do it, do it the best you can. But I'm yeah. not going to get into a fight with another team's coach or an official or a parent or anything because the kids didn't play well or we lost or we should have had a call go our way. That's one. That's a big thing. That's a whole youth hockey conversation. I would say at the NHL level, I would say give me um, white jerseys at home. It's a small thing, but it's a big thing to me. Amen. And give me um, – I wouldn't mind seeing even more home-and-home home series. You know, I wouldn't mind it. We have, you know – With the natural with rivals, rival. you mean? The natural yeah. rival? Yeah, yeah. I, I like Should that. Should happen a few times a year. I wouldn't mind. But, like, there's so many other stuff with the game, too. I, I mean – I don't want to get off on a tangent, but I cannot stand. I am uh, vehemently opposed to many of the uses of replay, especially offside replay. It's not being used how it should be. I would get rid of it except for egregious and common sense replay. The problem is we don't have an agreement what is egregious or common sense. Your ver version of common sense is different than mine. It just is. So... Uh we can't come to an agreement. I cannot stand offside replay. I'm, I'm not a fan either. Uh, do you think pro hockey will come back to a major network for more games than we are currently out with NBC? think that'll ever happen. I, I don't, I mean, I don't know if you'd really get that many more games on. I will give NBC a huge props for the amount of games they started to put on, especially the second half of the year. Do I think, I mean, if we get another network, you'll have more games. Yeah, I do. I, if, if we didn't have a pandemic to go through, I would have said that you would have NBC and most likely some element of ESPN uh, working together, uh, you know, NHL network doing stuff. So you'd have two or three type things, networks with platforms, different platforms. But now with this 
god awful situation that we're in, I have no feel. Yeah, I don't either. I have no feel for this because if if networks can't get advertisers and then therefore can't pay rights fees, what do you do? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. That's a raises a major red flag for sure. So you yeah. work you work with the Bruins, you get a chance to get access to some of these guys. You Lily, uh, Boston's about as good a team as you could you could have picked mm-hmm. to work for. I mean, obviously it's a major market, original six, all the other things that go there. But, you know, we're talking Bruce Cassidy. We're talking Bergeron, Marshawn, Chara, Tuca. This is a really fun team with, we complain about the personalities, not enough personality in the game. You got plenty of personality on the Bruins. Uh, they have huge personalities. They have huge professionalism, unbelievable leadership, and, um, it is really a pleasure to be around. Um, I, uh, I've lived, as you know, we talk, I live in Chicago, amazing sports city, right. amazing. Lived in New York, different kind of sports city. It's so big. It's fractioned or there, yep. you know, with nine different teams. Boston is the most unique and most passionate sports city I've been in. And I will tell you the new England area and their teams. It's, it is unique. Um, it is, it is uh, really a, a thing of it's, I'm very proud and very flattered to be part of it. I know a lot of people can't stand Boston and New England. I get it too. People I are starting it. to hate them. That's for sure. I mean, they hate it not, because, not necessarily well, they, the Bruins, but yeah, obviously the Patriots bring a lot of that, you know, hate yeah. for the rest of the other sporting par- population. Yeah, I mean, some of the way that they've they've done things, and also the fact that they win, and and so everybody can't you know likes to hate. You know, they love to have somebody to hate. For a long time, it was the Yankees who were the evil empire. Now it's the Patriots and, you know, Boston wins, wins, wins. But the Bruins organization in general, uh, it's been awesome to work with since I've been coming here, actually since the 11-12 season. And then we, we moved here when I became, you know, regular on all Bruins games in the 2013. Um, it's been a ton of fun. And the past that season, this season, what a group, you know, we always, I always say that, you know, the NHL is fun. It's again, it's a, a real, um, it, it's an honor to cover. You work your ass off to get there, but you, you know, it's still an honor to, to cover it, but you got to do good work to stay there, but it's great to have a, a good subject or great subject to cover. And they've been a great subject to work with and the personalities, you know, Char is one of the most unique individuals I've ever met in sports. Yeah. Bergeron, I can't stand him. He's disgusting. Everything he does is good. It's not great. It's <laughs> awful. It's, it's, just, it's just, you know, yeah. And then you get, you get other guys. So it's uh, uh, real fun. And Bruce Cassidy is one of the best guys to talk with in the game. Hands down. Yeah, he seems like the type of play- coach that uh, relates well with the players, but at the same time keeps everybody accountable. Yeah, he does. He can be tough on the guys. He's pretty emotional, um, but he's real sharp. Offensive mind is really, really good. And um, he has done an amazing job here. I mean, he's like got a – I don't have his numbers in front of me, but I think in his time here he's almost at a 670 win percent. Wow. Something. Six six fifty something six sixty, it's really good. So are really the, good. The, are, do the uh, Boston fans are they? Now you've lived there quite a t- some time. Who are they the the most hard on uh, if if they are, if they're not successful and who gets the biggest pass in From Boston? A hockey player or team? No, just no, just the all the all the teams in Boston. Who gets the pass and who gets well, the, the most Patriots criticism? Get the pass. 
I mean, er everybody gets criticized here. That's the other thing. I mean, everybody, because there's been so much winning here, everybody's an expert now. Right. Everybody is an expert. So, um, and I guess that's the beauty on the beast of being a sports fan, right? It's yeah. right, but, you know, sometimes you don't really know as much as what's going on. But the Patriots get the biggest pass because they've won the most. Um, I, I, I mean, the, the Red Sox, they seem to take some heat maybe because, I don't, you know, I don't know why, I, I, even though they've won an awful lot. Yes. Sometimes their ownership takes some heat. Um, sometimes Bruins take, you know, like Tuka Rask from an individual perspective takes the most heat. Out of everybody hands there. Hands down of, of any, of any Bruin. Um, and I bet you Char can do no wrong, right? Can do no wrong. Well, I would say Char for the most part, but there have been some people that have, that have, you know, via social media or whatever, have talked about how oh, he's you know too slow. This that I'm, I'm a I'm a fan. I'm a fan, and and it, I ask the players that play against him in practice regularly, and then the players that play against him in games, and they say he's still one of the toughest, and he's still hard to get this and to get by, and to deal with in front of the net and everything. And no question, he's a different demon than he was when he was 35 years old. But the guy's 43 and can still play 27 minutes when needed. They try to keep him in the 22-minute you know, range, 2022. But he's a freak, and I say that in the most complimentary of ways. Did you ever see That's the 60-minutes uh, story they did on, on, on Chara? It's fascinating. Oh, he's such a late bloomer. Yeah, he, late bloomer and amazing work ethic, and he's an interesting man. I just did an event with him a few weeks ago. Well, he's going on three months now where I, I was the MC and he was the subject and, and uh, you know, um, he and I talked for about an hour up there and he's a fascinating individual. Uh, you know, you have arguably the most fascinating individual in the, in the game is, is Marshan. I'm sure after a while you've probably collected some nice stories about him. Um, he's yeah. I, I mean, he's just, Brad is Brad. I don't know if Brad always knows why he does what he thinks that he does. Um, but he's, you know, he's had to, he's had to mature. He's talked about it. He's had his, uh, said his hand slapped. The organization has had discussion with him, but yet, you know, Patrice Bergeron, who is, you know, one of those perfect human beings, quote unquote, right. Loves him like a brother. Tells you know, loves him. And, um, I, I think we see there that humans are imperfect and some are going to make some big mistakes, some more than others. Um, Brad is just, you know, he's got great chirps on and off the ice. Uh, nobody is, uh, you know, free of it. If he wants to give you something for, you know, a little crap or something you're wearing or something maybe you said, he'll do that. Um, but I mean, you want to talk about a guy that I, I would argue is, number one or number two uh, left wing in, in the NHL along with Ovechkin. And some would argue, I mean, Ovechkin is the best pure like power score, score, right? Yeah. Yeah. But you could make an, an argument given that Ovechkin doesn't play PK near, I mean, anywhere like Martian, Martian no. does. Um, and even at five on five situations, although Bruce, especially this year has put Bergeron out there even more offensively than defensively. Um, you could say that over that, that Marshan will touch the game more than Ovechkin, but I'm not saying that Ovi isn't, you know, oh my God, the most special scorer out there. I'm just saying that you can make an argument, best left wing 
right now in the game is Brad Marchand. Here's a, a name, a Minnesota name, uh, Charlie Coyle, who is just absolutely beloved here, and he's just uh-huh. his career has just taken off since getting back to Boston. Well, it did, and it really took off two times that we've seen distinct um, uh, blip or not blips, but uh, uh, jumps. Uh, playoffs last year, yep. Charlie was a beast. And then after the all-star break this year, wow, did, did, did Charlie come back? And while he didn't lead him in points, uh, Pasternak and Marchand are up there doing that. He was right there just behind them, but his play was so good. He wasn't bad early in the year. He was good, you know, but it wasn't the Charlie we saw in the playoffs. And then we saw it again after the, the CBA slash all-star break this year. Wow. Was he, I mean, dominating, powering his way around, passing, shooting a little bit more. I know that everybody always wants him to shoot a little more. Um, he's playing great. And he's a wonderful guy. And he's confident. And he can handle being a local guy at home. He, uh, we did a friend of mine d- does some production work here in town. Actually, we had him on our podcast, and he went to Boston. They have this thing called Being Wild, and they go to a, the the players' mm-hmm. hometown, and they have this little uh, street hockey games that they play, roller hockey games at a buddy's house or maybe at his house. I'm not sure. And he and he told the the producer, he goes, "Whatever you do, I don't care what you'd show in this thing, but I want to make sure you get video of my buddy. Is this guy like the team manager guy from their neighborhood? Yep. He goes, I want to make sure you get him." on the screen and I don't care what anything else you do on this deal is fine, but make sure you get him on his screen. And that was just kind of tells the story. He didn't say that on screen, but off screen, he's like, he really loves his buddies in his neighborhood. And he really liked this guy. And he makes sure him get on the air. And that's, uh, I've always been yeah. warm for, for coil because of that. Cause he was kind of just had a real big warm heart for his buddies back in Boston. That's Charlie. That is a wonderful guy. Right. I can't tell you, there's not one bad guy on this Bruins team. And that's not me saying that and you thinking anybody's right. listening. I'm, I'm telling you, not a bad guy on that team. They're they're wonderful people, and yeah. and and they truly, genuinely like each other. And while remember this, the NHL is really 23 independent contractors. When it's all said, and yes, done. they're sole proprietors of their business, and what in theory could be a short-term business. You know, you're lucky if you get. I mean, forget 12, 10 years. You're lucky if you get six, five, six years of full-time NHL play, right? Yeah. You're lucky. But these guys um, organically, genuinely care about each other. You can see it in how they interact. You know it with how they play on the ice, too. All right. One last thing. I get a little plug here. You also, in amongst of all the other million things that you do, you put on some camps, too, adult hockey camps walk through what that looks like if, the, if there were adult camps this summer yeah. where could they learn about it on, on on your website where could they find out some information about it yeah um I, I i came up with the adult hockey camp idea or you know for me when i was all the way back in chicago actually after i'd fallen into broadcasting i did it a few years there and my tagline was always practice like the pros that's what i wanted i didn't want a fantasy camp i right. wanted you to be out there and work on power skating, work on your stick handling, and then have beers after, have a great time. And so I did in Chicago. I did it a bit in Atlanta, too. I never did anything in New York. It just didn't work out and everything. But back in Boston after a couple of years, and then I, I, I Warrior Ice Arena is where the Bruins have their beautiful, that's their practice facility. Yep. And the people there are awesome that run it. So I partnered with them. 
couple, this would have been our third summer now. And I said, look, let's do this. Let's try that. What do you think? And they said, yeah. I said, look, I, I said, I can own this and just rent the ice from you, or we can partner and we can use each other and build it. And so we partnered and they're awesome people. And so it's grown from one camp to now where this summer we were going to have four camps and one is a women's camp mm-hmm. and an open camp. We call it open camp. It's it's usually all men, maybe one or two women, but then a, a, a an open camp was later in the summer. And then I was going to do a Heroes Cup camp, which is all first responders here in Massachusetts. Oh, very cool. During the week. And then I would do a military camp uh, for and, – and what it is is you have – it's usually – it's either four or five hour-and-a-half ice slots, and you get to keep your gear at the rink. The first day you walk in, you've got the locker room set up with nameplates and jersey socks. Nice. Uh, you know – water and beer in the locker room every day, gum, candy. You get treated like a pro and we go over practice plans. And then I have anywhere from three to five uh, players on the ice with me, whether they are former players, uh, local coaches, division one coaches, division three coaches. And you've got real, you know, I've had uh, Chris Wagner, Andrew Raycroft, Matt Grizzlick, Bruce Cassidy, Kevin Dean, uh, and then I've had college coaches like, you know, uh, Mark Dennehy and uh, from was at Merrimack. He's now an American League coach. I mean, just Greg Brown, you know, who's now with the New York Rangers. I mean, they all come out. We have a great time. And then afterwards we have beers. And um, the last night of the camp, we do a little, you know, power skating again. And then we play a game for an hour. How and do we you have f- a great time. How do you find out about uh, what's the website called where you can learn more about it? WarriorIceArena.com go to programs there and then look up adult stuff and you'll see it there. You can also do a Google search and there's a video I know from last year on it and it shows and um, you can, yeah, you can just do Billy Jaffe warrior adult camps or, you know, you know, ice camps or whatever. And and it'll come up and been a ton of fun with it. I love it. I hope we can do it this summer to tell you if I have any idea. I, you know, I don't, it changes by the minute. Well, once the, uh, the 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 doors open up to business again, I'm sure you're going to be a very, very busy man. What will you be doing? I mean, obviously, you'll be covering the NHL to some degree, right? The the Bruins run well, we to hope. the cup, right? Fingers yeah, crossed. We hope. we hope that that happens. Again, if it's, hel- if it's healthy to do and safe to do, um, we don't know what the broadcasting will look like. Will everything being done by via studio? That's my guess. Uh, even quote unquote home games, my guess is their broadcasters won't be there. They would keep them out. They would keep us in studios. Um, I don't know about what the NHL network would have going. Not sure. Not sure about my hockey camps, you know, just because things start opening up doesn't mean that everything's going to open up. So we're going to find out it's incredibly, look, I got to be honest with you. Um, it's an incredibly scary time for everybody. And, uh, you know, I have no idea how my gig's going to look when I come back. I have no idea because as busy as I, I was, um, there's a lot of question mark. What's going to yeah. come back? What what are they going to need? What are they going to are they really going to need, you know, home and road broadcasters? Are the, are the NHL network going to need people? I don't know. I, I hope they do. But that's it. So I, I don't know what kind of job I'm going to have when I come back. I can tell you my job is pretty much nothing right now so i'm 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 i don't want to say i'm unemployed but 
I'm not working, if that makes sense. No. Like, like millions of other people out there that I, I feel as bad for as I do for what I've got going. Let's all we hope we can get back to working soon. Yep. I, uh, Billy, I appreciate your time today uh, sharing with your story. I think your story is awesome story. Uh, uh, all over the globe you've been uh, covering the game and being part of the game. I really appreciate your time here on today's show. My pleasure. Stay safe. Stay sane. And uh, please stay healthy. Billy, say hi to all those Minnesota people. They're great people. You know, I will. Billy, well, I got my butt handed to me by one guy. I can't remember the name of him, but he crushed <laughs> me one day. Big defenseman, number five, I think it was. From, I remember from the Bucks or from the Vulcans? Yeah, or? from the Bucks. Oh, he crushed me one time. We always had good battles. I'm telling you, he took the wind out of me. Well, uh, we, we aren't known for toughness up here. So uh, we are known for, like you said, we're the, we're the skills and skating guys, you know, usually. Yeah, no, this guy was, this guy was a good D, left shot D. He absolutely caught me as I was trying to beat him down the right wing and, and caught me with a good, I didn't, I didn't let him know at the time he got me, but he did. He absolutely, there's one of those where you just keep skating and, and hope that you don't uh, keel over here and don't puke, you know, one of those. Yeah, well, there's some good times, that's for sure. Well, yeah. B- Billy, I appreciate your time today. Billy Jaffe from uh, NHL Network, uh, NS- Nesson uh, in, in Boston. Uh, fantastic to have you on the show. Okay, keep up. Thanks. All right, bud.